Our guest this week is Dave Trott, probably one of the most famous creative uh, well, forces really uh, on the uh, British advertising scene over the last 20, 30 years. Dave has uh, opinions, which always makes him worth listening to. And he uh, is also recently become a successful author, um, having written a few books, which uh, if you haven't read, I urge you to get hold of. They're full of pearls of wisdom. Now, Dave, I know Dave really well. Um, I've known him, it seems, forever. We actually even had an advertising agency together once called Base Fair Sharky Trot. So we've shared a lot of history together. But I asked Dave to come in and talk to us about things he's learned, how he got into the business, and uh, any, any things he wanted to pass on to any would-be budding advertising creatives out there. So let's hear from Dave. At BMP, as I say, what I, what I learned was a lot of Baroque intellectual exercises of people from university thinking the answer was great planning and you can ask Jeff Howard Spinks forgetting they were in advertising. They, they, they thought the job was to do planning, they forgot the job was to do advertising and planning should serve advertising. So then when you started Gog Willie's job, yeah. you, you were able to have a big say over how the agency oh, should be run. Oh, 100%. What was, see, what was great is you'd look and see exactly what, you knew what was going wrong at, at, at BMP but you'd have no say in it because you're only in the creative department. So when we started GGT, of course we're going to have planning, but now we're going to do it in the right way. So we've got Barry, who was, uh, Barry was um, one, uh, uh, one of the senior planners from, G, from BMP, and we've got Barry to head up the department. It's Barry Pritchard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he'd been, he'd, a lot of people had left BMP and gone to French Gold Abbott, and at French Gold Abbott, they learned to put advertising back into it, you know? And Barry was one of those. Greenleaf was one of those. Barry was one of those. They learned to put advertising back into the game. And, and so I said to Barry, What's, what, what I know a lot of what was wrong with BMP, our creative department was at least as good as CDPs, at least as good, but we lost a lot of work because we were doing opinion former work and we were researching it amongst opinion followers. If you only recruit on demographics, you necessarily, you'll recruit opinion followers because 80% of people are opinion followers. But if you're trying to get your work to go viral, how it goes viral is you motivate opinion formers. So we're doing opinion former type work, which will work when it gets on the box, but because we're having to research it we're rec and we're recruiting demographics, we're recruiting opinion followers. Now, opinion former work will fail amongst opinion followers because they want what they know. So what we're going to do, and Barry was really good, he said, right, so what we're going to do is we're going to start recruiting opinion formers for the groups. And that's what we did. And so much of what we did ran, and it worked like a train. Because now we were all on the same page. Creative and planning was on the same page. Amazing. So what, of that era, I mean, there's so many famous campaigns. I mean, obviously Toshiba and... Um, uh, Holston Pills spring to mind, but what, what did you have a personal favourite, or is there something you look back on? And well, I just like I just like the thinking of things. That, I mean, mainly what what uh, see English people have a problem. This is what I liked about Charlie. An American mate of mine wrote to me recently and said, uh, "Hey, Trot, glad good to see you're still a troublemaker." In America, that's a compliment. In England, that's an insult. Charlie Sarchi would take that as a compliment. 
troublemaker means you're going to stir things up like Richard Branson or Steve Jobs or Malcolm McLaren and you're going to get people talking about you and that means you're going to turn a £5 million account into a £50 million account with word of mouth, what they now call viral. Controversy. And so the advertising I like best about what we've ever done has been that. It, it, you know, and yes, it'll upset, the client, it'll upset the client when he sees it and he doesn't want to run it. Of course he doesn't want to run it. And that's what you have account men for. That's what you, that's what you have great account men for. I, I can write all the great ads in the world and if they never get bought, they never run. So the guy that gets it over the line, the guy that sticks that ball in the net is the, the account man. We can do all the build-up play and get it perfect. But the actual striker, the Jimmy Greaves, is the account man who puts it over the line. And that will be like any of the great account men who, who, who never get credited for it. Uh, that's not acres and acres and acres of research. Just the client will never settle for an argument. I mean, I would always argue, try and argue the client into running it, and that never works. What you do is a great account man gets the client to love him, and then the client feels reassured by whatever that account man brings in. And of course, we know whether if we can get that ad to run, we're going to take the can back if that works or doesn't work. If the client likes what we do but it doesn't work, we'll take the blame and we'll lose the account. And if the client doesn't work like what we do, but we run it and it works, we'll keep that account and he'll remember it as he chose it. So what it all comes down to, we've got to take responsibility for doing great work, then we've got to get it to run. It's not, you're not cheating someone because you know what you do is going to work, because you're going to be responsible. You're going to keep the account or not keep it on the basis of that running. So it's all hinges on that part for me. And that's a lot of what's gone now. Well, let's talk about now and then because, you know, it, it could be said that, you know, and I don't want to indulge in golden ageism, but there were so many great campaigns that everybody knew that were talked about, you know, on the proverbial bus. Hmm. And, you know, people have said that today, that isn't so much the case. We've got all these platforms, we've got all this new media to play with, but there aren't the campaigns that, obviously there are exceptions, but there aren't the sheer number of campaigns. Now, do you think there's a reason for that? Or? Yeah, sure. Punter's been left out of the loop. We're not doing advertising for the ordinary man in the street, for the 40 million people, 50 million people out there. We're now doing advertising for intellectuals talking to other intellectuals. And, and uh, so the whole... I saw the other day, I went, to, uh, I went to talk to a really good ad agency and they'd hauled in all their planners from all around the world. And I, w- I was there to talk to them after they had had a really res- respected planner, head of department, come in and talk. He's retired now, but he had come in and talked to them before me. And they said to well, me... Well, they were having some sort of conference. Yeah, right. like all getting all their planners together, mm. about 20-odd planners from around the world, their heads of depart- departments from around the world. And they had had this really, really respected planner come in and talk to them. He was really famous. And they said, oh, what he told us is that what he's learned in all his time is that it's nothing to do with ideas, it's all to do with execution. And I think, wait a minute, let me get this right. This is, this is just Marshall McLuhan. So what you're saying, you've, hook, line and sinker, you've bought the medium is the mass message. And you've got some intellectual, convoluted intellectual argument now that says we don't need ideas, we just need executions. Now, the best execution ever 
was John Webster. The man who won more DNA Gold Awards than anything else, the man who's got more ads in the last century, the best ads of the last century, as voted by the consumers than anyone else, is John Webster. And he wouldn't start until we had the idea nailed down. He said, never mind that, we can always do the execution. What's the, what's the idea? Um, we'd spend two weeks until we got the, once we got the idea, the execution would fall into place because that's what we do. But the idea, nowadays, we don't do the idea because everybody thinks the execution is the idea and everybody's seduced into, and there's so much technology around for execution and there's so much uh, consumer insight that believing that now the exit. So what you've now got is, and, and I don't want to name names, but running at the moment from two of our most respected agencies, campaigns where A, you don't know who ran it, B, you don't know what they're saying, but it's a kind of very boring sort of half sitcom campaigns, spending, it's got to be 100 million on each, on media, all on insights that came out of research because it's supposed to be about execution. And the belief is, if I like your execution, I'll run out and buy your product. Well, will you if you don't know what the name of my product is? If you don't know what the name of the company is? The belief is, if I like your execution, I'll love your brand, I must buy your product. This is back to the 1950s. You talk about, you know, before Birnbeck, this is all pre-Birnbeck in the crappy old Mad Men days. So you think there's a dearth of really strong advertising ideas, is, is another way of putting yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think people understand what they're doing. They think, get the brain right, and people, as if hypnotised, will get out of their chair and wander down the street until they find a shop that sells what they want. Nobody considers the influence of media upstream or downstream or marketing strategically. Nobody thinks beyond get the brand right. And that's one of 20 options open to you. And, you know, but that's all the stuff that, in America, because in New York, you're proud of selling, and so what you're going to do is outsell other people, out, and it's like a game. Selling is like football. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to outthink it. And whoever I outthink you, the way Don Revy would outthink Ferguson, the way, the way Ferguson was outthink Shankly, the way you're, however we outthink you, might be on the field, might be off the field. The way Harry Redknapp would outthink someone over a transfer. However I beat you, I'm going to beat you. But we don't do that. We sit there and think, if we play beautiful football, it will win. And then you end up like Jose Mourinho. You're not winning and you don't know what to do about it. <laughs> you haven't got a clue what to do. Because you haven't got any other alternatives. I'm, I'm glad we got onto football analogies, because I feel on safe territory now. Um, and I wondered, um, you know, talking about advertising today, how much the clients um, need some help as well, because it seems... Oh, that's 100%. Yeah. No, nobody educates clients about... Rory Sutherland said... Uh, creative people have a fear of the obvious, and they must sell their people to work who have a. Lo they must sell their work to people who have a love of the obvious. Hundred percent. Nobody ever tells clients why creative people have a fear of the obvious, and creative people just assume you know that. You have a fear of the obvious because the numbers are eighteen point three billion pounds spent on all forms of advertising and marketing, 
4% remember positively, 7% remembered negatively, 89% not noticed or remembered. So that's 17 billion quid pissed away by so-called experts. So clearly, 90% of the people in the business don't know what they're doing. The 7% that's remembered negatively at least has a chance of working. We don't like it, but at least it has a chance of working. The 89% that isn't noticed or remembered has no chance of working. And 90% of the people in our business, obviously, must be in that area. And they're not educated about what we're doing and why. And how is anyone ever going to educate the clients about what we're doing and why? And what I know is, it's really simple. Why we want a big idea is because it's now it's called creative. It's another word for street smarts. It's actually another word for entrepreneurialism. And that's why I'm really good with senior clients and really bad with junior clients. Because junior clients are still desperately trying to prove that they know all the words and they've learned all the language and they've learned every, all the case histories and they can quote it back and they're gonna do exactly what everybody else has done. So they're not gonna make a mistake. So I'm not, it's, it's not smart to put me with those people. But senior clients, chairman, chief execs, they haven't got time to muck about and they haven't got time for flannel. What they wanna know, I've only got a very short meeting here why am I spending this money? What are you doing? And what do I get for it? In very short words, I need to know. Those are guys I can talk to. Well, and I don't think it's any uh, accident that the great, I mean, you mentioned Steve Jobs and Richard Branson. They were all over the advertising. Yeah. You, know, here, yeah. you know, these owners of massive empires, yeah. you know, still caring desperately about the advertising. Yeah. And yet you go into most um, brand companies yeah. and the advertising decisions are delegated down to junior people yeah. who daren't take the decisions that, well, you know, no, as you said, you know, they won't buy something that isn't obvious. Unilever was somewhere, were asking me, um, uh, what do we do to get better ads? And I was saying, it's very simple, you get your senior people involved earlier. You've got the process the wrong way around. You've got the junior people involved at the front end when it should be the other way around. The senior people at the front end and the junior people at the back end. So when an agency is coming to you with loads of daring ads, you've got the junior people blowing them all out the water. Loads of people that can say no, and yeah. no one can say Blowing yes. Blowing the daring yeah. ones out of the water, because to them, the daring ones look wrong. At that point is when you want the senior people saying, well, uh, I'm not sure yet, but let's develop those, those daring ones and see how we go with those. And then later on, then the junior people can come in and make sure you've got all the hygiene factors right. The junior people can then make sure you've said everything that you need to say in the right order and you've got all the right words in the right places. But... That's at the end of the process, not at the beginning of the process. The entrepreneurial people should be involved at the front of the process when you're picking which ideas to work on. You've got it the wrong way around. And also, there's this data. There's this data thing. Yeah. So it lulls clients into, and I think some agency people, into uh, the mindset that if they use the data properly, they can't go wrong. Yeah. That's not right, is it? I mean... Well, data's like... I mean, what data is? It's like the dashboard on a car. It's information... Now it's up to you how you use it. And, you know, when you're in a race, the data doesn't tell you, doesn't make you pull over now and get petrol. The data tells you you've got half a tank. If you think you can win this race on that, it's up to you. It's your choice. The, da- you know, you're, the data tells you about these footballers. You're the manager. Now the data tells you about this player. Can he, play, can, he, can he play 19 minutes or should you save him and bring him on in the last 15 minutes? The data is there for you to use. If... If you can't work without the data, then we don't need you. We can feed that data into a machine. 
if you don't bring anything to it other than the data, we don't need you. That can just be fed into a computer. It's a big problem. I think also leads to short-termism, which is another problem. I mean, where you get, again, um, a lot of the advertising online now, it, people are searching for something to go viral, searching for something to happen quickly. It's really hard to make that happen. And then they quickly get bored and then they try something else. And, you know, there isn't any kind of commitment to ideas that... Well, the stupidity is they talk about viral media. There isn't any such thing as viral media. What there is is there's a viral idea and there's social media. And those are not the same thing. A viral idea is when you're a kid in the playground at school. You hear a joke, you tell it to someone, he tell it to someone. Next thing you'd know, it'd be all over the entire school. Next thing, you'd talk to one of your other mates from another school and it'd be all over their school too. Next thing you'd know, it would, you'd hear it on, on TV on a Sunday night. It had gone viral because it goes viral person to person to person to person. Social media is a way of helping that, sure. But poster ideas used to go viral. Uh, uh, TV ideas used to go viral. Does that, how can it go viral if they're not viral media? Yeah, the so viral, viral existed before the internet. Viral is just another word for what we used to call word of mouth catchy. or getting into the language. Yeah, catchy, it catches on. Like, like, like... The songs my mum and dad used to sing before there was radios or or uh, records. They'd just hear them at the musical and sing them, and then you'd hear them of someone else singing them, and they'd pass them on like that. It'd go viral. Like the way flu goes viral. The way a virus goes viral. People catch it and it passes on. And what they call viral media is the stupidity of thinking. If you put it in that media, it'll go viral. And yet we all know every hour, 16 hours of film is downloaded to YouTube and 15 hours and 59 minutes of it disappears because it's crap. One minute of it will catch on because it's great. But it's not because it went on YouTube it will catch on, it's because it's great it will catch on. So, well, we've, we've sounded quite pessimistic about advertising. No, uh, quite, quite reversed. Oh, well, that's what I was going to ask you. Are there reasons to be optimistic? Well, yeah. I currently see what the, the, the beginnings of the return of the idea. People are beginning to just, it's the very thin end of the wedge at the minute, but people have just realised that what with, uh, is it Unilever that's laid off their entire... Um, oh, the procurement people. Procurement department. You can't no, do it? Yeah, either. it wasn't Unilever, was it? It was a big advertiser. Mars? Maybe it was Mars. Unilever, Mars... Or was it Pepsi? Pepsi, maybe it was... Oh, one of those big They've laid yeah. off a massive, massive yeah, procurement I mean, yeah, department. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't buy this stuff by the numbers. And, and it's actually getting in the way and costing you a fortune by trying to do it by them. So they've laid that off. On the other hand, you've got, and again, it's either Mars or Pepsi, that's refused to pay for half of their online media because it hasn't even been seen. Not only hasn't it worked, it hasn't even been seen. The bots have been, they've been notching up bots. Bot farms. And that's billions. You're talking about two billion quid there. Uh, 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 so, uh, and everybody's beginning to notice uh, this actually isn't working. We are going to have to, painful as it is to come up with ideas. But, that, but that's, again, that is encouraging, isn't it? Because it, it's sort of like going back to music in the 70s when it all, all that glam rock happened and it all got a bit up its bottom and yeah. then suddenly punk rock arrives, doesn't it? And it's like, it, this is all nonsense, we've yeah. got to go back to basics. So maybe we're going to have a punk rock moment. This is bad news for people who hate thinking, and this is great news for people who love thinking, is, is it's actually people are finally realising the king's got no clothes. 
as uh, Warren Buffett said, when the tide goes out, you can see who isn't wearing swimming trunks. <laughs> you know, this is, you can now see, uh, from the Pepsi Refresh pro project was the first one, where they shifted all their money off traditional media and into social media, all of their money. And uh, for the first time in their history, their brand went to number three. It had been number two all of their history. And for the first time in their history, it went to number three. They went straight back, piling back into traditional media. Now, is that because social media is wrong? No, it's because nothing on its own does it all on its own. You use, every, you use different things for different things. That's, that's, that's all Blitzkrieg was. Blitzkrieg was a reinvention of how the Roman army worked. You don't just have artillery and artillery wins the war because if you do, the infantry can come along and kill all the artillery. You need units that have little bits of everything in them so that whatever you come up against, you can handle it. And that's the kind of thinking that we need is to put everything together when and where everything belongs. You don't pile straight into unthinkingly into social media and data and just ignore everything that's gone before. You, you look at the funnel and you decide your hierarchy of marketing comms. First off, you realize that the advertising isn't marketing and you learn to separate those two things, which is itself would be a big lesson. For, for most people, they think advertising is marketing. So all you end up with is your ad is a mood board of what your marketing brief was. And you wonder why it didn't work. Because it's invisible. So what advertising is, is the voice of marketing. It's not advertising's job to get the right answer, it's marketing's job to get the right answer. It's advertising's job to get heard. It's not marketing's job to get heard. They don't know how to do that. That's not their expertise. It's their job to get the right answer. It's advertisers' job to get heard amongst, the, especially now, amongst the plethora of stimulus taking you away from that message. So if people got back to specialising and realised that advertising people should stop, so creative people should stop trying to be marketing experts and marketing people as Stephen King said, should stop trying to be ad fiddlers. Let's get specialists to do their job, the way you do on a football pitch, the way you do militarily, the way you do in business. And we can actually, obviously, do, do the job a whole lot better. So Dave, we've, we've heard some of your strong views on, on advertising, and it's great that you're now writing them up in books. I mean, I, I think, are you on your third book now? You're, you've written Predatory well, well, I'm, I'm Thinking. The third one's out, I'm in the middle of Fourth, yeah. Oh, so you're gonna you're gonna do more? Sure. And have you have you found that a like a really you know terrific experience writing all down, or is it does it come hard to you? How, how, where do you get all these be stories honest. from that you use? I mean, be honest, I'm only just I'm only doing it while I haven't got anything else to do. I mean, I'm not doing. I'd rather be doing advertising, but while I'm not doing that, I'm, I'll do this. This is just kind of things that I would be teaching the creative department normally. This is just conversations that I've had. You ask any of the guys who've ever worked in any of my creative departments, this is just conversations we'd always have when we're doing ads and why we're doing ads. And this would be the learning. That's why nearly all the guys that work for me all go off and open their own agencies. Because you, you know enough how to, how to put a planning department together. You know enough how to talk strategy and things. So, and the stories, to be fair, I mean, hey, you know, it's just what you'd... If, if, if you come from the bad side, I mean, I'm brought up in London and New York, and if you come from the bad side of a big city, 
you have to hustle and you learn this stuff growing up and you learn to hustle and you also learn to be interesting because if you're not interesting people haven't got time for you so you learn to collect stories and you learn to tell stories and just like that you learn to outthink other people you learn to tell stories you learn like great comedians people like Woody Allen and stuff always said or how they learned and Eddie Izzard how they learned to be a comedian was, was as a way of not getting beaten up at school if you tell jokes if you're funny you won't get beaten up so it's just kind of like that this is just street smarts is is what you learned I was telling a load of kids from Brixton the other day I was talking to a load of kids at some about creativity sounds really hard and difficult and you think creativity is what's in an art gallery no there's hardly anything creative in an art gallery Edward de Bono said there's a lot of people calling themselves creative who are actually mere stylists what there is in art galleries is style there's very little creativity uh, Muhammad Ali was creative, Brian Clough was creative, Steve Jobs was fantastically creative, Richard Branson's creative, I think Rupert Murdoch's creative, uh, Churchill was creative, Rommel. You find creativity is the wow factor in what you do your job and it shocks everybody else. Uh, as, as Bill Birnbeck said, um, it may well be that creativity is the last unfair advantage we're legally allowed to take over the competition. So creativity is a legal unfair advantage. And whatever job you're doing, whether you're in media, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in planning, whether you're in account handling, art direction or copywriting, it's your job to find a legal unfair advantage over the competition. Now, you notice the great people, Michelangelo would do that, Tintoretto would do that, Da Vinci would do that, Shakespeare would do that, uh, the great writers would do that. This isn't just that. I mean, of course it's got to be advertising, because if we don't do that, what do we do? But of course we do that, but everybody who's creative does that. We find a legal unfair advantage. That's, how, that's what we do. Otherwise, we are just stylists. We are just, and that's how Detroit died. Detroit became about style, not about creativity. For 50 years, right up until 1980, Detroit carried on making their 1930s car, and they put a different body shell on it. But it was the same old V8 engine, long transmission shaft to a differential rear-wheel drive. Same old car, year in, year out, and all they did was change it. Bigger fins, smaller fins, more chrome, less chrome, single headlights, double headlights. Changed the look, just restyled it. They never actually did anything creative with it until the Germans and the Japanese came along and were really creative. They'd do front-wheel drive, they'd do all-wheel drive. They'd do rear engine, no transmission. They'd do two-cylinder, three-cylinder, six-cylinder, four-cylinder, uh, double overhead cam instead of overhead valves. They, they, so, and, and Detroit doesn't know what it's looking at. Detroit can't do any of this, so Detroit dies. And the whole American car industry is now dead, and all they do is they make, if they make anything in America, it's Japanese or German cars. Because creativity will outthink the competition, and if the competition is just about style, all you do is tart up the same old idea. And as long as you confuse marketing with advertising, and as long as you confuse style with creativity, you're not going to get any real power against the creativity of what advertising ought to be and the idea that's actually going to move and change businesses like Steve Jobs did, like Richard Branson did. Well, Dave, it's been brilliant talking to you. Um, and that's a great point, I think, to, to probably end the, the chat. This idea that creativity is the last unfair advantage we've got and you know how important it is to be unexpected and to do the thing that no one's expecting you to do and not to be a follower. So, Dave, thank you very much. Thanks, Paul.
hope you enjoyed my chat with Dave Trott. He's always worth listening to, and today was no exception. This has been Paul Bainsfair, and this has been the IPA podcast.